taking a brief break from our series through the book of Acts to consider Nehemiah chapter 1. With the day of prayer and fasting, it's good for us to think specifically about prayer and fasting. Sermon this morning, we'll be largely looking at prayer, and in the time of sermon discussion, I want to to think uh, a little more specifically about fasting. Let's turn our minds and our hearts to God's word as we find it in Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and asked them, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out for the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was a king's cupbearer. As was announced before the service, the Midwest Presbytery of the RPCNA has called for local congregations to observe a day of fasting and prayer this week. This day of prayer and fasting has been called for the specific purpose of praying for the vitality of the church. The last number of years, the Midwest Presbytery has had uh, several churches close. They've also had various pastors leave the ministry because of burnout. We, as the church, mourn for this. And... As we mourn, we also recognize that the church is struggling. And when the church is struggling, it is incumbent upon us as the people of God to beseech the Lord for the church. The church is always engaged in a level and a degree of warfare. 
We are the church militant until Christ returns. Yet there are times in the history of the church that the church knows more severe distress and reproach. And we read of such a time in the book of Nehemiah. The church during the time of Nehemiah had just returned to the land of Judah, coming back from the Babylonian captivity. Yet Jerusalem continued to lay in shambles. Its walls were destroyed. Its gates were burned with fire. The city of God was desolate. And because the city of God was desolate, the people of God were also persecuted. They were left vulnerable to the attack of the surrounding nations. But Nehemiah's response to hearing the news of the distress of Jerusalem is to pray to the God of heaven. And as we consider the state of the churches in the Midwest Presbytery this week, we too must pray to the God of heaven. I want us to consider six directives for our prayers this week from Nehemiah 1, hearing the call that when the people of God are distressed and reproached, we must pray to the God of heaven. First directive we can take from Nehemiah regarding our prayers is that we are to pray with persevering diligence. Nehemiah finds out about the state of Jerusalem in the month Chislev, which is around November December, according to our calendars. And Nehemiah speaks to King Artaxerxes, which we read of in chapter 2, about, well, he speaks to him in the month of Nisan, which is about March or April. That's a period of four months. The text gives every indication that Nehemiah was in diligent and, and frequent prayer regarding the state of Jerusalem for that entire span of four months. And the text gives us, this, gives us the indication that this wasn't just a quick prayer before a meal. God, God be with the saints in Jerusalem. No, this was Nehemiah setting aside specific times each day to pray and to fast for the church. This was Nehemiah praying day and night. In an age of instant communication and quick but temporary solutions, it can be hard for us to imagine doing anything for more, for for over four months, let alone a week. But we must grow as the people of God in, in persevering diligence with our prayers. We read earlier of the parable of the woman and the unjust judge. The judge eventually answered the woman's request because she was a continual source of trouble to him. This woman didn't stop coming to this judge saying, you you have to answer my request. You have to deal with this. And the, the judge eventually answered her request. But the point of the parable is not that God is wearied by our continual prayers to him and eventually, eventually answers our, prayer, our prayers to him because he's so wearied. But the point is found in the question that Jesus asks. Shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. 
In other words, the point is that God's love for his people, God's love for his church far surpasses the love of that unjust judge. God will certainly answer the prayers of his people, though they must petition him for many years, for many months. But also the question in this parable is not of the love of God for his people, but the question is of the faith of the people. That is why Christ concludes his discourse on that parable by asking the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Do we have the faith in God be able to pray for months and even years and not have our prayers answered. Fear that many of us grow quickly weary and tired of praying, thinking God will not answer our prayers. But this springs from a lack of faith in the promises of God. God has commanded us to, to pray for various things in Scripture. And when he does not immediately answer our prayers, we must continue to pray for those things. We must not grow weary in our prayers. Nehemiah prayed for for four months for the state of the church in Jerusalem. Eventually, the Lord answered that prayer. Don't grow weary in your prayers for the church. Persevere in them, trusting in the promises of God. And part of the way that God answers our frequent prayers is in the establishment of our priorities. When we endeavor to pray for something every single day, we're making that a focus in our life. A good example here is in praying for evangelism. If we endeavor to pray every single day for our evangelism, The Lord will grow us in a desire to evangelize. The Lord will grow us in boldness in that evangelistic zeal. The Lord will open up opportunities for us to to share the gospel with others. And part of that is because we we have made evangelism a priority in our life. We are engaging in prayer every single day regarding it. And this is one of the ways that prayer works. It focuses our minds and our hearts on the good things of God. And as we focus more and more on that, the Lord changes our hearts. It took four months of praying and fasting for Nehemiah to to go and, and speak to the king about the state of Jerusalem. Nehemiah acted on his prayer, and we'll touch on that later. And as, but as we persevere with diligence in our prayers, we must pray specifically to the God of heaven. We read in verse 4, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And when we are faced with adversity, we often go to find solace in things. We try to numb the pain by distracting ourselves. But these are cheap comforts. They're like buying a a knockoff brand of, of something that's made in China. 
It might work for a couple of days, but pretty soon you'll find yourself needing to go back to the store to, to get the real thing, to get something of, of better quality. But there is great, lasting solace in turning to the God of heaven in our distress. And Nehemiah recognized this. When Nehemiah prayed, he called to mind the character of God. He said, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. This is a pattern we see in the prayers throughout Scripture. When saints have been distressed, we see in Scripture that they direct their minds to who God is. David does this frequently in the Psalms. And we see an example of it with Heman the Ezraite also. Heman the Ezraite wrote Psalm 88, and he starts that psalm saying, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. So the first words out of Heman's mouth are, Lord God, of my salvation. Heman calls to mind the character of God, seeking to find comfort in that, in his day, which was full of troubles. If you are going through times of trial and hardship, in your prayers, call to mind the character of the Lord. And as you pray for the distressed church, think upon the Lord's attributes. Use the names of God that he has revealed to you in scriptures. Recall that that God is the one who sees and hears. Know that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is the Lord who provides. And he provides mightily for his people. We can often run straight to petitions when our souls are in distress. But in doing so, we can skip over immense comfort that is offered to us. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and and say, Our Father who art in heaven, this is not simply a greeting. It is to remind us that, that God is our Father who is in heaven and that He loves us. He cares for us. Just as our earthly fathers might have cared for us, so God infinitely more loves and cares for His people. Friend, in your dejection, pray to the God of heaven. In time of affliction, the Lord is a refuge to those who call out to him. Avail yourself of the strength of Jehovah. And know that he is a great and an awesome God. When the word awesome is used to speak of God, it is meant to convey something of his infinite majesty and strength in comparison to our creatureliness. The word literally means to be afraid. That is why the King James Version translates it as terrible. There are many things we can fear in this life. We can fear evil men. 
We can be worried about what the future holds, about the church being persecuted, about the church suffering, about the church shrinking in size. We can be worried about the growing wickedness of this country. And as we think about everything that we can possibly be afraid of, there is a rest for those fears when we remember that God is an awesome God. And that might seem oxymoronic to us. I'm not to fear because, because God is terrible in his might. That doesn't seem right. However, for the believer, for the one who fears God, the terrible and awesome God is for him. This God is not against his people. Rather, he is for them and he fights for them. God is for his church. The name El Shaddai means essentially Lord God the Destroyer. Means God the destroyer. That's that's what that, that word mighty means in the Hebrew. That was an immense comfort to Abraham when he heard that, that his God was El Shaddai. Because it meant that his God was terrible, that his God was awesome in his majesty and his strength, and that his God was for him. We serve a great and an awesome God. And this God is for his people. And this truth is beautifully expressed in Deuteronomy 7, verse 21. Here Moses is speaking to the people of Israel as they are about to embark on their conquest of the land of Canaan. We know that the Israelites wrestled with fear. Forty years prior, they they had refused to go into the land of Canaan because they were afraid of of the armies of the Canaanites. But Moses tells them that they do not have to fear because the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. The church was to find comfort in the fact that their God was was terrible. Their God was awesome. Are you afraid of what the future holds? Are you concerned about the state of the church? Know that the great and awesome God is for his people. And that brings us to the next item we are to pray for. We are to pray for the forgiveness of our sins. Nehemiah says, I confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. We are called to times of corporate prayer and fasting. These are also to be times of individual and corporate repentance and seeking forgiveness from God. In praying for forgiveness, Nehemiah recognized that the greatest need for Israel at this time was not that the walls of, of, of Jerusalem would be rebuilt. It wasn't that the gates of Jerusalem be set in their pillars. Now, Nehemiah recognized that the greatest need 
of the people of God was the forgiveness of their sins. They needed God's forgiveness much more than they needed those walls rebuilt. And how this is true for us. Our greatest need is that God would wash away our iniquities. That God would forgive us of our sins. We need to be beseeching the grace and mercy of God as we pray for the church this week. We need to be repenting of our sins, seeking forgiveness. This needs to start with an honest assessment of our sins. must take full ownership for how we have sinned. We can oftentimes blame our sinfulness on the corruption of culture. We tell ourselves, well, I wouldn't be so sinful if the world wasn't so sinful. I wouldn't have watched an inappropriate video on YouTube if YouTube hadn't existed. I wouldn't be so covetous if, if Amazon or, or Walmart hadn't existed. But friend, you and you alone are to blame for your sinfulness. Apart from the grace of God, you are dead in your trespasses and in your sins. It is you who are dead. It's not your wife, your husband, or your children that make you sin. It is you who sin. Your parents aren't to blame for your sinfulness. You are responsible for your sins. You must own up to it. You must take responsibility for it. Nehemiah confesses to God that we have sinned against you. Nehemiah doesn't say, well, it was the pagan nations around us that that made us sin. He doesn't say it was the the women who seduced us and, and turned our hearts after other gods. Nehemiah doesn't say it was... It was the prosperity of other nations that made us commit injustices against our very own brothers and sisters. He doesn't say it was, it was the, the pagan prophets who, who evangelized us and, and, and caused us to turn after other gods. No, Nehemiah says, we have sinned. He takes full ownership. He says, both my father's house and I have sinned. And Nehemiah doesn't stop there. Nehemiah also recognizes and owns up to the seriousness of his sins. To sin, as Nehemiah says, is to act very corruptly against God. Sin is not just a hang up or a hindrance to our full potential. We often hear of corrupt politicians working in government, men and women who accept bribes and and do all sorts of horrible things simply to advance their own political career. They're simply in it for themselves. And when these corrupt politicians are, are found out for their sins, they leave a wake of destruction behind them. When we are found out for our sins we similarly leave a wake of destructions. That's what it means. That's what this word here means, to act very corruptly. 
It means to have a level of destruction with your sins. Our sins have brought varying degrees of destruction into our lives, into our families, into our church, and even into our country. We must seek God's forgiveness for such treachery. We need to be asking ourselves, if the church is struggling, how have my personal sins been a factor in that? How have my personal sins contributed what's happening if we are to pray for God to pour out blessing upon his church such petitions must first be made by confessing how we have acted corruptly against the commandments of God we must first examine ourselves and what sins we have let linger in your lives in our lives I would encourage you this week And I'll be doing the same to go through the Ten Commandments. To think about how broken God's law. Thinking about how I can grow in obedience to that law. And so glorify God. We need to pray that God would help us to realize the sins that we have committed. And are continuing to commit. But as you pray for forgiveness, as you pray recognizing your sins, as you pray pray taking ownership for your sins, pray that God would remember. Nehemiah says in verse 8 and 9, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. For us to pray that God would remember it's not that God has some sort of divine amnesia. But it, instead, it is a prayer by which our f- weak hands and feeble knees will be lifted up to consider the faithfulness of God. God never needs to remi- be reminded that he is faithful to his covenants. But how often we need to be reminded of this. God is abounding in his steadfast love. God keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and keep his commandments. God's covenant faithfulness is one of, those most, one of the most beautiful truths that we have in Scripture. That prayer for God to remember is one of the, the most beautiful prayers we can consider in Scripture. It tells us that God is faithful. His people continually break his commandments. We continually sin against our great Savior. But God is faithful to his word. He will save his people. he will do so because he has sworn upon his own name to do so. 
And what a truth this is for Nehemiah to recall. The only reason that Nehemiah was in Babylon was because the people of Israel had been unfaithful to God. The only reason that he was there as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes was because he had been unfaithful to God. But Nehemiah asks God to remember. Nehemiah prays to God to remember. And so once again show forth his covenant love for his people. Do not forget his people, but to redeem them. Nehemiah's confidence is not in himself, but it is in the immutability of his God. Nehemiah knew that they were not destroyed because God does not change. Circumstances might have seemed bleak, but he knew that God would be faithful. He knew that the circumstances of this life were not a barometer of God's affection towards him. He knew that the promises of God found in his word trumped the circumstances of life. God has promised again and again to turn to his people when they, in repentance and faith, turn to him. As you confess your sins this week, remember, Remember that Christ cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember that Christ paid the penalty for your sins. Remember that while you were yet enemies, Christ died for you. Remember that by his stripes you have been healed. we were left alone in our sins, all hope would be lost. We would be destitute. We would be distressed beyond imagination. But we must remember the promises of Scripture. As you repent of your sins this week, pray that God would remember. And after we have prayed that God will remember, we must then turn to pray for the state of the church. We notice that Nehemiah had a concern for the church that compelled him to ask his friend Hananiah about the state of Jerusalem. To be able to pray for the state of the church, we must make ourselves aware of the church. Now, this should not be done with a a sense of, of nosiness or wanting to gossip about the troubles or difficulties of other churches. Our seeking of information about the church should flow from from a keen desire, a keen love for others, and, and a longing to come alongside them in prayer. Nehemiah asked about the state of the church, and he found out that the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. These were exceedingly bleak circumstances for the church. To have the walls of Jerusalem destroyed meant that the people were open to the attack of other nations and criminals. We read of such attacks later on in the book of Nehemiah. 
where, where the, the surrounding nations are constantly plotting against the church to, to hinder their efforts to rebuild. Tobiah the Ammonite said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break it down. They were under constant derision from the surrounding nations. And in, in Nehemiah, we read that, that the surrounding nations went so far as to plan an attack. And, and the response of Nehemiah was that, well, now we need to divide our workforce so that half the people are carrying swords and spears and shields to prevent from attack. And the other half, the workforce is building the wall. The people were in great distress. Imagine that, that the fear the people lived in from attacks went so far as to hinder their worship of God. They lived in fear and could not worship God freely. And this is in part why Nehemiah responds so passionately to hearing that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. He responds by, by mourning and weeping and fasting. But Nehemiah would not have known about the state of Jerusalem if he had not asked. We need to have a concern for the church that compels us to ask after its state. To seek news from other churches so that we can be praying for them. And social media can be a great help in knowing how to pray for the church. There are hundreds of ways to stay informed about the church through various pages and groups on Facebook. We can avail ourselves of these opportunities. We can become part of, of, of the several mailing groups in the RPCNA that, that gives us regular information about how the church is doing. But with that, I also want to give a caution we can easily, very easily make the discussions about the church on social media a source of entertainment for ourselves. Rather than keeping tabs on our news feeds about the church for the purposes of prayer, it can quickly become a place for news where prayer has, has little to no place in it. Or we're simply wanting to find out about the church just so that we can be gossiping about it. If you love the church, the knowledge you gain about the church should drive you to your knees in prayer. Your concern for the church should not just stop with commenting on a post on Facebook or Twitter. It should go further by engaging in prayer for her. The last thing I want to bring up on this point of of praying for the state of the church is, is that we might think we live in comparative ease to other churches. We have been called by the Midwest Presbytery to pray for struggling congregations. We may not have the same struggles in our own congregation that other congregations are having. But our heart and our desire should be for the downtrodden. Nehemiah lived in a measure of splendor and glory in Babylon. He was, after all, the king's cupbearer. He was beside the king. He likely feasted from, from the abundance of the king's table. 
But that did not stop him from having a concern for the persecuted. When the church found out through the prophet Agabus that there was going to be a great famine, this is, this is the early church in, in the book of Acts, when they, when they found out that there was going to be a great famine, the church gathered together and sought to alleviate the distress that the church in Jerusalem would be having. They determined to pray and care for the church. Their, their love and compassion for other believers extended beyond their own borders. And our love and compassion for the church must also extend beyond those borders because we share that one Savior. We share the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a common faith. So our physical separation should not mean that our affections are separated from other churches. Finally, and I'll be brief here, we must pray, but we must not stop at prayer. We must avoid simply thinking our duty is fulfilled if we pray about a matter. The words of our prayer should, should stir our hands into action. We can pray, lead us not into temptation. But then we can go and put ourselves into temptation. And that makes our prayers of, of, of no avail. If we are sincere in our prayers... We would not be putting ourselves into ways of temptation. Similarly, we can pray, Lord, bless our evangelism. And then never go evangelize. Instead, we must, as Nehemiah did, go forth and do the work of building. Nehemiah prayed and fasted for four months. But he didn't stop at prayer. He went forth and, and asked the Lord. He prayed to the Lord, Bless your servant, I pray. Bless your servant as I go and speak to the king about this matter that weighs heavily on my heart. And Nehemiah went and spoke to the king, possibly upon pain of death, for bringing up such a matter to the king. But because Nehemiah engaged in prayer, the Lord was pleased to answer his request. And Artaxerxes was, was favorable to Nehemiah's request. Artaxerxes said, go forth and, and, and see that the walls in Jerusalem are rebuilt. And here, take all these supplies and provisions with you as well. Nehemiah left a comfort and, and splendor of, of, sa of his safety in Babylon so that he could be part of the fruit of his prayers, so that he could help Jerusalem rebuild. As we pray for the church this week, let us not stop at prayer, but let us seek to do the Lord's work as well, examining our gifts, examining how the Lord has blessed us, has given us gifts, and, and let's seek to use those gifts for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. 
Let us be stirring up one another unto good works. Let us be encouraging one another. Let us be encouraging the saints in other churches. Let us do so because we know the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That just as God has blessed us, just as God has shown compassion to us, so we show compassion to others. Let us have faith that God will indeed answer our prayers. Let us have faith in our great and awesome God, that he is the God who remembers his people. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, you truly are a great and an awesome God. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this wonderful blessing of being able to pray to you. And Lord, we, we pray for your church. We pray for your bride as it is in distress. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would remember your people. That you would pour out blessing upon your church. That you would strengthen your church. That you would strengthen our weak hands and feeble knees. Lord, encourage us in our prayers this week as we pray for the church. Go with us in our prayers. Bless us in this time of, of communion with you. May we know that you are the God who both hears and answers prayer. We pray in the name of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.